I want you to turn with me. I, I want to spend a little time thanking him for the blood. I, I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. There's a prayer here in Colossians that we would walk worthy in the Lord and walk in his will. But I just want to look at one verse of that prayer. Brother Hagin always said, you should give thanks for what God told you to give thanks about. And here's what the Lord told us to give thanks about. Chapter 1 and verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, who hath delivered us from the authority of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You don't hear too much about sin these days. But you know, sin is an open door to the devil, and it's it's horrendous thing. And God has delivered us. There's not a day goes by that first thing in the morning, I don't tell the Lord I'm so thankful that you delivered me out of the control of darkness. Think of it. He delivered you out of that. Satan has no dominion over you. And you're told to thank him for that, and it happened because of the blood. So right now, let's all stand, and let's just thank him for the blood that fitted us and qualified us to be translated out from darkness into the kingdom of the light. And that Satan has no dominion over you today. We're thanking him. We're thanking him. Oh, my Father, I wanted to thank you one more time. I wanted to praise you and give you glory that by his own precious blood, he washed me, he cleansed me, he qualified me, and he took me out from under the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of darkness, and he translated me into the kingdom of the light, the kingdom of his beloved son. I wanted to praise you, hallelujah. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in the sound of my voice, he's delivered you if you've accepted it. He's delivered you, and the devil has no dominion over you. Hallelujah. All because of the blood. Everything we've got, we've got because of the blood. Sin's forgiven. Satan can't touch me. I'm under the blood, spirit, soul, and body. Hallelujah. Praise God. I just thank God. I thank you for singing that song. I thank God for the blood. You may be seated, please. I mean, um, whatever. Sit down. I practice saying Hebrew to my family because I want to keep in practice, you know, so that's why I say things like that. We're here on a very auspicious day. Not only is it Lynn's birthday, but it is Rosh Hashanah. It is the date that the Lord sees as the beginning of a year. And this date throughout Jewish history is it's just filled with things that happened on it, people that were born on it. Um, actually, you know, I was talking with brother and sister today. The Jews were told when they came out of Egypt because what they did at Kadesh Barnea, any, any man, I think it was just the male, but I have to look that up, that was over 20 years old was going to die in the desert. They're not going to live and make it into the promised land. So it was decided on Rosh Hashanah this day the Lord decided who would, the judgment came. It, it enters a 10 days of judgment and Elul and then examining themselves, a day of atonement. It was, it was decided and written down whether you're going to live the next year out or not. So it was a very important day all through the... And they'll say to you, uh, Shana Tova, good year, and may you get a good inscription in the book of life. In other words, may you get to live another year. Bless the Lord. That's what they'll always say in their greetings to each other. And it comes from that long ago, uh, Rosh Hashanah. And for, well, Jews, that was the New Year's Day for them. It's not the Jewish calendar. It's the God calendar. But the Jews are the timekeepers of it. 
thank God for them. Christians wouldn't even know what, anything about it if they hadn't kept it and, you know, kept the holidays. My daughter Brenda, she always went to Sunday school. She said, Mother, I never heard anybody in my lifetime, any Sunday school teacher ever draw a connection between Passover and Easter. And Easter is the fulfillment of Passover. So um, we would have been blind, I think, and in the past few years, God's waked some of us up a little bit to all of these things, these good dates. But God has a calendar he operates by, not the Gregorian calendar. When it turned 2000, everybody went nuts. I knew nothing in the world going to happen on January 1st, 2000, because it was nothing to God, nothing, zero, zilch. What is to him is this day, and then a year from this day. That's how he times things. And so since this day marks uh, the time since Adam's creation. So they have kept that. That's their civil year. They still do things by the civil year. But there came the time when they were redeemed out of Egypt. And then in Exodus chapter 12, the Lord said, told them how to get the Passover lamb, told Moses, and he said, this day is the beginning of the year for you. So there's two New Year's days in the God calendar. One of them is the civil New Year's Day, this one. It's God's dealing with mankind. And then um, there's the sacred calendar that begins when he brought them out of Egypt. This is the calendar of redemption. Uh, when he brought them out, of course, they, they kept that little lamb. They had, chose a little lamb. They kept it up for so many days. And then they had the Passover meal, put the blood on the lentils. Now, the first of the, there are seven of these moeds. Moeds means appointed time. Days God circled on his calendar. These are days that have to do with the redemption of man from the kingdom of darkness. This is the calendar, the sacred calendar of redemption. All of these have an historic fact that happened. They have a harvest that was at that time, and then they have a fulfillment. Three things for each one of these. So the first four happened that week within, well, first three, within one week, you're going to have the Passover lamb, which you're going to sacrifice to God and use its blood. On that very same day, you're going to begin a seven-day feast where you have and eat unleavened bread. Leaven is a type of sin. At the end of that week, you're going to take two loaves and you're going to wave them up before the priest. Now, Passover, Jesus' death, fulfill that. He dealt with the sin problem, leaven. He was the first fruits resurrection. It says in the Bible, New Testament, he's the first fruits of resurrection. After that, every man order in, in his order. Then you count 50 days, and Jesus asked the Father, and the Father sent the Holy Spirit on what we call Pentecost. Those are the first four fulfilled moeds and feasts out of the seven feast calendar. Then you have a space of time where there are no no holidays. I heard of a Jewish man, and he, was a, he said, I was tempted to become an atheist, but I found out they have no holidays. So, one thing the Jews have is holidays. Holidays came from holy days. And so they had these holy days, and it seems like they just have one after another, but they got a little space here, and that's the space allowed for the church age. And then over in the fall, we have the unfulfilled feasts. We are today standing at the feast called the Memorial of Trumpets, shofars, really. So last night at midnight, uh, they blew that shofar 100 times. Bless the Lord. Then 10 days later, you have the Day of Atonement. Five days later, Tabernacles. I believe that the Feast of Tabernacles is going to be when Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom and there's a true jubilee. There will not be a true jubilee until that day. So... Those are future, and they are, here we are. Now, we are here on this day. Uh, we are also starting uh, the sixth year of a Shemitah cycle. God does things in seven-year cycles with time, with years. They were in Babylonian ca captivity because of the number of, Shme of, of uh, Shemitah years that they didn't let the land rest. That's what determined their being there. The, day, the number of days that they were in Babylonian captivity. A week of years is seven years. So in Daniel, I've just taught on the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, and I'll never get over it. Bless the Lord. I, I saw so much more, and 
the things I believed were made stronger in me, to tell you the real truth. But Daniel, God said to him, 70 weeks are determined for me to deal with the Jewish nation. He deals with the Jewish nation. You're just going to have to get over it if you don't think he does. But he does. He deals with them as a nation. They are his people as a nation separated out of all the nations. And he told Daniel, 70 years, 70 weeks of years out of all the years of time are cut out. God cuts them out to deal with Israel. And then he tells them that he, the Messiah will come and he will be cut off. And when he's cut off, there's one more week of years, seven years, that God has set aside to deal with Israel and prepare them to be in Jerusalem ruling over the whole earth. So it's called Daniel's 70th week. We haven't come to it yet. It's seven-year cycle. It's a Shemitah cycle. So I believe it'll start on the start of a Shemitah cycle and end at the end of a Shemitah cycle. Um, but praise the Lord, that's seven years. Daniel's 70th week is dealt with in one chapter, actually just a few verses in Daniel. It's the 24th chapter of Matthew, but in the book of Revelation, it's 13 chapters. And it's all dealing with the same time and what God's going to be doing on the earth in those seven years. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, 9-19-19, one year ago from yesterday, it, I was at Larry Allison's church in Osage Beach, Missouri. And uh, he'd had a special week of meetings. It was my night to preach on this night. As I was preparing that day, the Lord said, the crowd's going to be sparse tonight. Those were his words. It's the way I want it. So here's what you talk about, and don't talk too long, because I want the group to pray. So he gave me the message, and the message uh, was that you fellowship with God according to 1 John 1, that we fellowship, we work in partnership with him. We recognize that he's light and in him is no darkness at all, and we are called into a fellowship, walking in the light in fellowship. That word fellowship, uh, I hate to, uh, maybe Rick Renner might hear me, but it's koinonia or something like that in the Greek, and it means as a partner and a partaker. All of us are partners with God in God's business. And that's what you do in prayer. You work with God in prayer, bringing God's will onto the earth. And so he said, I want you to talk about that. Don't talk too long and then pray. So I got there that night and the pastor said, uh, immediately when they get through, the worship team is going to leave because there's a huge Christian concert tonight with top Christian artists and they're all going and a great number of the uh, people in the church had gone too. So I'd say we only had 40 or 50 people there. But I wasn't, didn't bother me. I don't care how many are there. Bless the Lord. You just preach what God gave you. But uh, I knew that it was particularly the Lord's and I was reminded of when Brother Hagin had that vision, you know, September 2nd, 1950, and people couldn't get out to the meeting because of the rain. And I thought about that, and God moved in a marvelous way and caught him up to heaven. I thought, oh, Brother Ben, I might get caught up to heaven tonight. You never know. <laughs> Hallelujah. But so far, God hadn't taken any of my hints along those lines. <laughs> and uh, I'm telling him, people say, well, we can't get words to tell you what it was like, heaven. I thought, Lord, I'll get the words. Bless the Lord. Just, just let me. But he probably knows I wouldn't want to come back. So, so far, I haven't got to go. But I have lots of friends who have. And I may be inviting one of them, a black man, Dean Braxton. Do you know him? Uh, he's really great in, if you hear what he has to say. I might see if he can come to our autumn assembly. He saw how prayer works. And I wanted him to share that with the people. But that night at Brother Larry's, I preached my short message Lynn Mink got up, sang a song, and he sang a song about fellowshipping God and how God wanted us to stay in this place of fellowship and how he was going to uh, download things into us and he was going to translate us even to other nations in prayer so that we could pray how that nation would go. So then the word came through me. And before I gave it, I knew it was going to start with 2020. And, but I heard from the Lord, I'm only saying 2020 because that's how they think. 
So I'm really talking about how I see time. So this is the word. 2020 will be a year of transition. And it will begin with the beginning of the year as I see it on Rosh Hashanah. That would be 10 days later. Last year it was on September 29. That year will be a year that's transition on to 2021. In 2021, all things will have begun. Begun to end. Begun to change. To move. To rearrange. Now this year, I must have you. I must have my body, the church, and that fellowship I just sang about. Unbroken fellowship. So prepare for it to begin the transition year in 2020. I'll provide all you need to fulfill my will. Work with me in fellowship and prayer. For yourself, yes, but beyond yourself. And know that it will start the transition year on Rosh Hashanah. And 2021 Rosh Hashanah is a big change. Hallelujah. People have said to me, you think that'll be the rapture? I hope so, but I don't know so. I do know something big will happen, whether I see it or whether I don't, whether it's in the realm of of sight or the realm of, of the unseen, I don't know. But I could tell you, it's coming. Something big on September 7 and 8, 2021. I looked up the word transition. It's the process or a period of changing from one state or condition to another. And then as I thought about it, boy, have we ever seen change. Dear God, the whole world has been in a change. And... Uh, I thought about it, and, and I thought about how this word in the Hebrew is sar, sarah, and it means um, it, a narrow place. You're in a narrow place because of outside pressure. And it's always tied to uh, a birth canal of a woman. There's outside pressure, and you know the things of the end are tied to that. He says these are the beginning of birth pangs. And he talks about things like that. The transition period in a pregnancy, the end of the pregnancy, the end of the labor is the transition period. And once you are in the transition, everything goes and nothing stops it in the normal way, unless something's wrong. From then on, I mean, it's there. So bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. So I believe that we're in the transition period now. But one thing about the transition period, you get a baby. And the future is as bright as God can make it. It's as bright as God can make it. But in the end time, the enemy, especially from the enemy, he brings a lot of pressure. He brings a lot of pressure and really he's fighting for his survival right now. So, a lot of things going on in that, a lot of things in that spirit realm that's all around us. Um, we're nearing an age change, if you'll put up that chart of years. This is from the Talmud, Sanhedrin 97b. You can read it there. But uh, I made a little chart of it for myself, or had the people make one for me. And according to what Moses was told when he went up, he didn't just hang on to an ice cream cone mountain for 40 days and then another 40 days. He went to the presence of God. There he was shown the pattern of the tabernacle. And he was told this, that God gave to Adam a six-day work week because God worked six days and he gave man six days to see what he could do with this earth. He named the animals, etc., etc. Now, each of these days, and of course it was given to Adam. Adam, we know, uh, gave it over to Satan. He shouldn't have. He did not have the moral right, but he had the legal right, and he did it. So he handed it over to Satan. So that's why Satan in the New Testament is called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Adam gave up that ruling in the heavenlies. So Adam has a lease on this earth. God is not like the devil who just usurps things. 
He honors Adam's lease. But the minute that lease is over, it becomes the day of the Lord. And in the day of the Lord, all the rules change. It's just God's will the whole way. That's it. Now, uh, we're coming to an end of an age. These days are a thousand years long, we're told in Peter and also in Psalms. They're divided up into th in three parts. This is in the Talmud. The days of chaos, the law comes, the Torah, the days of the Torah, and at the end of the fourth day comes the Messiah. Then you have two days, the end of days, and this was supposed to be called the days of the Messiah. Now, in the Talmud, you'll find a footnote which said he was supposed to come then, but he didn't come because we were not worthy to receive him. But the Christian belief, of course, is that he did come, and he came exactly at that time. And that at the time of Peter, in the time when he came, they began the end of days, the last two days, and we're now at the end of those days. We're bumping up against the second coming of the Lord. Sister Jeannie Wilkerson said, there are two golden hooks upon which all history hangs. Any other event pales in the light of these. The first coming of the Lord and the second coming of the Lord. And he is near, even at the very door. Hallelujah. So Brother Hagen, I worked for him for many years and, and then knew him all of his life, was close to him. Uh, he laid hands on me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1967. God dots, wonderful God dots. Bless the Lord. But I worked for him and he came into my room. He often did. I had a desk and he'd sit right there and he'd talk to me. He'd just start talking about something. And so this day he came in and he said, we're coming up on an age change. I won't be here. Speaking of himself. I think he said, you will be, but I cannot say that for sure. But he said, it won't be just as if you were stepping over a log and everything's different all at once one day. He said, the, the things of that age are going to start to come over into this age. And he said, there's going to be uh, a great appearance of angels, an activity of angels. And he said, there's going to be uh, going into the glory world and coming back and showing and witnessing the glory world to man here. He said some of it will be near-death experiences. Some will not. Some will just go over there and come back and tell you what it was like. He said, now, you're to write books about it. Well, I started collecting these people that had gone over and come back. They're like teacups, uh, thinking I would write a book, but I don't need to write a book. They're all writing their own books. And they're on television everywhere. And the witness is far and wide. You've seen them. You know who they are. That little boy that made a movie about him. Bless the Lord. So th this is coming. This is the sign that we are at the end of the age. Before I came here, just before, I picked up, I cleaned up my desk. And um, there I found, well, I have to be truthful. It's not altogether clean, but I made a stab. And uh, <laughs> it piled up while I was working on the Daniel and Revelation. But um, I found this. It was just there. And it's entitled, The End of the Age, from Kenneth E. Hagin. The end of the age is coming upon this generation. The powers of darkness, the forces of evil, are rampant as never before. And they will be increased in intensity and velocity. Many Christians will look, see, and look upon these things and say, Oh, there's no use. Throw up their hands in futility and say, Well, I guess it's all over. We'll just have to hold on and pray for Jesus to come shortly because the devil's about to take over everything. But thus saith the Lord, In this day I am searching the body of Christ to enlist soldiers. Now, this is 1980. He's beginning to enlist soldiers. In 1980, we didn't have any Word of Faith churches. In 1967, one week I told, people, I told someone speaking in tongues is of the devil. The next week I'm speaking in them. <laughs> because someone took me to Kenneth Hagin meeting, just a small little meeting, about 150 people crammed Jan in his office 
They'd taken down the desks, made room for us. And he was teaching, it was Charismatic Move Days, and he was teaching on, in the book of Acts, on the baptism with the Holy Spirit, evidence speaking in tongues. Day five, I went to the back room and he laid hands on me, he and Aretha, and I received. Oh, my goodness, went off like a fountain. I've been born again 20 years. And my spirit knew this was the next step, and I mean it was ready to explode. So I called my mother. My dad had Pentecostal background, but mother didn't. She had very denominational background. And I told my very denominational mother, I said, Mother, I've received. Oh! I said, Mother, it's in the Bible. Now, the next time I see you, I will show you in the Bible. I said, now, Mom, don't worry. I'm not going to get mixed up in these Pentecostal error. I'm not going to put my hair in a bun, wash up all my makeup. And I said, and I promise you, Mom, I will not listen to any woman preachers. Because I'd been called since I was a kid, but always told women can't do this. No, no, they had to be silent in the church. They were never silent. They sang. They did all kinds of things, taught Sunday school. Evidently, there's some difference between the Sunday school building and the church building. I don't know, but bless the Lord. Mission field they could go to, but I'm not going there. I just promised Mama I'm not going to listen to any woman preachers. That calmed her down a while. She got over it. She was a writer and an editor, and she did Charles Capp's books that you read, and she did Fred Price's books that you read. So Mama got over it. But she, that day, she wasn't quite over it. So anyway, what do you know? It was a long seminar. I got filled on about Friday. And then the following Monday, he brings in this little woman, 75 years old, little prophetess. If they'd have told me she's a prophetess, I would have fainted. But anyway, Sister Clara Grace. And she preached. I was such a baby, I couldn't understand one word she said. But... The anointing. The anointing was, ha! Huh. And I thought, you know, she's so good, probably at the judgment seat of Christ, she'll be rated equal with the men that are so bad. And she'll come out, <laughs> men preachers, that it'll come out even. I figured it out. I'm always a person that has to figure things in my head. So, bless the Lord. I didn't, I couldn't tell what she said. She prophesied. But I went to work for Brother Hagen, and later I had access to those files of that meeting. And later I had access to the prophecy she gave. And in the prophecy she said, do you know why you're here from the north, the south, the east, the west? We were there. You know why you're here from Minneapolis? There were people there. Fort Worth. From Fort Worth was Kenneth Copeland and Gloria. He was a little round man in those days, and nobody knew who he was. Nobody cared who he was. Nobody asked him Bible questions, nothing. They just hoped he could get, we, only, we had a park in the, in the parking lot of the Oklahoma Highway Patrol, and there's a little gate you could get out. We just hoped he could move that car that he came there, and it looked like a car tied together with bailing wire. <laughs> he offered to trade it to, to Buddy Harrison for Brother Hagen's tapes. They said, please don't leave the car here, but you could have the tapes. <laughs> so there's the Copelands. There's me. Others I could name for you. And we're denominational people writing in our Bibles for the first time because Brother Hagin said it was okay. We tremble when we did it, you know. But she said, do you know why you're here from the north, the south, the east, the west? God is raising up his end-time army, and you are some of the chiefs of the clan. You would have had prayer for God if you thought those were the chiefs. I mean, nobody looked like it. Nobody was prepared. The Lord told me, I went to work for Brother Hagin, did some books for him. One of the first ones I did was the woman question. I cried. I said, Lord, you mean that I can do what you call me to do and I won't get in trouble at the judgment seat of Christ? He said, yes. And one day I'm going to call you out from here. But right now you don't know anything. How do you like to be told by God you don't know anything? <laughs> he said, you don't know anything. And I have been born again for 20 years. I've been a Sunday school teacher. He said, this is your Bible school. That was 1975. We didn't have, oh, it was, no, it was closer on over to 70. We didn't have Rhema then. Rhema came in 75. He said, this is your Bible school. 
And so Brother Hagen and doing his work became my Bible school. And then there came a day, you know, when he called me out. I said all that to say this. God has been raising up an end-time army, and you're it. He started long ago, and now you're ready. Hallelujah. Uh, the authority of the believer. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And in his book, The Believer's Authority, did I get up here with it? Yes, I did. And all my stuff. This book here outsold any other Kenneth Hagin book 10 to 1. This book was used uh, for the Berlin Wall falling, all kinds of things. We took it into Soviet Russia. All, I could tell you story after story of things that have happened because of believers' authority and believers walking in their authority. And Brother Hagin wrote in the front of this book how he, how he studied the authority of the believer. He said, as a result of my studies, I concluded that we as a church have authority on the earth that we've never yet realized, authority that we're not using a few of us have barely gotten to the edge of that authority. Now listen to this. But before Jesus comes again, there's going to be a whole company of believers who will rise up with the authority that is theirs. They will know what is theirs and they will do the work that God intended they should do. And I'm telling you right now, I believe this before God, that last night in this room, those believers rose up as a company of believers and stopped some things that needed to be stopped in the heavenlies that would tear our dear nation to pieces. Doesn't matter which side, right side, left side, all the devil cares about is that he gets you extreme. And the extremists fight each other. And he had things going in the heavenlies. I don't know if you heard about it or not, but there was even some kind of a threat uh, that uh, if they try to pick a Supreme Court justice, we're going to burn down the Capitol. Any of you all see that threat? It's, you can just forget it. It's stopped. It done got stopped last night. And I knew that when I came down here, it was like, he told me, almost like up there at Osage Beach, don't, don't preach too long. Take time to pray. And so we took time to pray last night. And I'm telling you, he showed me to get the two heads of this ministry up here. And I'm telling you, the power of God came on them, especially Pastor Mac. I kind of felt sorry for the devil there for a bit. <laughs> I'm telling you. Whew. Glory be to God. That company rose up. I saw it. But God's been working on this company for a long time. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, here's one of our handbooks, Authority of the Believer. And if I read to you about Brother Hagin's study, he said he, he, he came across this man's writing. This book is in the uh, bookstore. I absolutely know they have it. And you can get it, and then you use it, and you do it. In this, this man was a missionary. He was a missionary to China, the Philippines. He saw a lot of demon activity. And uh, he wrote, The rapidly approaching end of the age is witnessing a tremendous increase in the activity and powers of darkness. He died in 1956. I wonder what he'd think about now. To meet the situation, the church of God needs a new conception of prayer. The urgent call is for men and women wholly yielded to the Lord. Wholly yielded to the Lord. He said in another place, you know, well acquainted with the word of God. Walking in holiness and spirit who can hear the voice of the Spirit when he prompts you. To meet the situation, the Church of Christ needs a new conception of prayer. The urgent call is for men and women wholly yielded to the Lord, whose eyes have been enlightened to see their ministry in the heavenlies. We have a ministry in the heavenlies. We have a ministry that we operate from the heavenlies, from the right hand of the Father. You have a ministry there to which they have been called. 
Such believers may, in union with the great head of the body, exercise an authority to which the powers of the air must give place wherever challenged. They have to obey you. Brother Hagin said, it is written, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He said, if he doesn't flee, you didn't resist. Because it's written. He has to go. Some one of these people who's recently had a trip to heaven came back. I think it was Kevin Zadai. And he said, if you only knew it, he talked about the Lord talked to him in a visitation. Kevin Zadai is a Rhema graduate. He's, um, he's, uh, his ordination is through Jesse Duplantis. And he died and went to heaven 40 years ago, I think it was. And uh, then recently he's had a visitation of the Lord, an open-eye visitation. And the Lord talked to him, I'm not behind this COVID stuff. My children need to take their authority. He talked to him about taking the authority of the believer, not being afraid. This didn't come from God. That's what steals, kills, and destroys. It comes from the devil, and you have got authority over the devil. And here's what Jesus told him. Tell them the devils are afraid of you. You don't be afraid of the devils. You don't be afraid of COVID. You don't be afraid of anything. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Now, oh, see, where is that page in here? See if I put the number of the page down. Bless the Lord. I think I'll go to page 10. See if it's there. It is necessary to state here what is commonly understood by those who carefully study the word, that the kingdoms of this world, the world system, since the Babylonian days, the kingdoms of this world are under the control and leadership of satanic principles, principalities. The great head of the church in the Gospel of John called him the prince of this world. He's called the God of this world, the prince of the powers of the air. Now, it was supposed to be Adam's territory, these heavens that are above here. But he turned it over to Satan. Satan's got this lease. minute the lease is up. But right now, since Jesus, since Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, there's a body of Christ in the earth that has authority over those principalities and powers. Because we're much higher than them. We're seated at the right hand of the Father. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Uh, demons. We'll talk a little bit more about demons here. Uh, I'd like you to turn in the book of Matthew to... The, the Bible tells us everything we really need to know about them. And in the book of Matthew, we find Matthew 12, 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man... He walks through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. You could preach about that, but we won't take the time. Then goes he and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first, even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So here we see from Jesus' own mouth, unclean spirit demon has been in a man. He's been using that man. He got cast out. The man didn't fill himself up. And he came back and he got seven more in there. So we see that demons use people. You know, Jesus, anything that's done on the earth... The head does through the body. The Holy Spirit has to have a body to operate. Temple of the Holy Spirit. Demons have to have bodies to operate, and they do. They're operating through men right now. So, now Matthew 17, 14. This is another case that you might call demon possession. A Christian cannot be possessed. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. 
when you are born from above, you're born again, your spirit man, old man dies, new spirit is of God. He's the father of spirits. Your spirit is of God. You cannot have, and you're the temple of the Holy Ghost, and you cannot have and will not have a demon spirit in your spirit as a born-again Christian. Now, Christians, and it's happened, demons, not always cancer, but sometimes, Brother Hagin tells about one story of a young woman who had cancer on the left breast, and he saw the demon cast it off. So sometimes that's the case in the body or in the mind. The mind, the soul can be definitely bothered by demons. But a Christian, a born-again Christian, who walks in the love of God and the Word of God and fellowships the Holy Ghost, that, that inner man is supposed to dominate your soul and your body. And then I really believe there is a place in God that Satan cannot touch you. That's what Wigglesworth said, and I believe it. Now here is a case that probably is possession again. Uh, Jesus had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration with the, the three inside ones, Peter, James, and John. He came down. There was a man there. His son uh, was demon-possessed. And the demon would throw him into the fire and into the water. And he said, I ask your disciples to deliver him. They could not. So Jesus said, Matthew 17, 17, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. So he rebuked the demon, cast it out. So later on, the disciples came to him and said, verse 19, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. You have to have faith that you've got authority over devils. For truly I say unto you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. So both of those are probably possessed but here's one where there is an influence of the Holy Spirit, of the, of the demon spirit. The man is not, the man is Peter. Of course he's not possessed. But outside of him, a demon's going to speak and put words in his mouth. So this came when they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. We have this account, Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Messiah. He was Jewish. He wouldn't have said the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. They've been waiting on the Messiah. And Peter says, you're him. Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the revelation that he's the Messiah, I will build my church, and the keys of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Thank God, hallelujah. Now we're going to go down to uh, Matthew 16, 22. Well, from that time, Matthew 16, 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He turned to Peter... He turned to Peter and said, but he didn't talk to Peter. He talked to Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind on the things of God. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. So here we see a case where a demon influences, shoots thoughts through someone's mind, even puts words into their mouth. Now, we know that this is the case of what's happening here. I've seen a lot of things. I was there for the Kavanaugh vote. I was in the Senate gallery. I saw people that I knew that were demon-possessed and totally controlled. 
and they were controlling crowds of young women. Those young women were not demon-possessed. They had a cause they believed in. But somebody up here, like a puppet master, and that's behind that somebody is Satan. And behind somebody, it doesn't matter either side. If it's evil, if, it's, if it's, it has to do with death, if it has to do with evil, you can be sure he that steals, kills, and destroys is controlling the thing. And if he can get them to clash, whoa, he laughs. If he can get them to divide their nation, ho, he laughs. Because Satan is against this nation that was started by God. Now, we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 2 in the King James. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience among whom also we had our lifestyle in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Here he's telling the church right in the middle of a wonderful prayer, in which at one time, this is amplified, let's read the amplified, in which at one time you walked habitually, you were following the course and fashion of this world, you were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, Following the prince of the power of the air, you were obedient and under the control of the demon spirit that still, listen to this, constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Now, those demon spirits, somebody had to do something last night and that somebody had to be us. And somebody has to do something about them right now. And I'm going to show you what I do every morning because every single morning I do it. I don't miss a day doing it. Sometimes a little something get a, something going and whoops, 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 whoops. I got to take authority because he's going to accuse me day and night. That's what the Bible says. But I got to get the blood and I got to get the authority after him. Now here's a prayer I pray every single day. It's in that book of Macmillan's. It is in Ephesians, if you'll turn to me right now. This is what I'm going to show you. Last night we all prayed together. Today we don't have time. But today, this is what I'm... Individually, this is what you've got to do. You have a territorial, habitational authority. You can keep these demons from acting up in Minneapolis, the Metroplex. You can keep it. You have got the authority to do it. And if you will do it, I can tell you right now, God told... Brother Hagin one time, nothing in America happens unless the church allows it to happen. What have we allowed? Dear God, well, we repent. And here's what we're going to do from now on. And I challenge you to do this every single day. Pray this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And pray it with me. Say it out loud. Doesn't matter what translation you have. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, Give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Let the eyes of my heart, my understanding be enlightened, that I may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of your dunamis to usward who believe according to the working of your mighty power which you wrought in Christ when you raised him up from the dead and set him at your own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age and world, but also in that which is to come. You have put all things under his feet. You gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And we have you quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, Verse 4, but God, you who are rich in mercy and for your great love wherewith you loved us, even when we were dead in sins, you quickened us together with Christ. By grace we are saved. You raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, how thankful we are. How thankful I am, Billy Brim, to be sitting here in my prayer chair. I'm in the body of Christ. 
It told us right in here that when you raise the head, you raise the body. When you quicken the head, you quicken the body. When you raise the head, you raise the body. When you seated the head, you seated the body at your own right hand. And now I'm there with you in Jesus at the right hand of you, Father. And all principalities, powers, rule, dominion, names are under my feet. And you have told to me, they which have received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign as kings in life through one Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I'm obeying you now. I'm so glad you translated me out from his authority and you put him under mine. And in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over you and I command and demand you listen up, kingdom of darkness. I mean it. You listen to me right now. You are not going to touch me today. Spirit, soul, and body, this covenant person is under the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not going to touch my four children, their mates, my ten grandchildren, their mates, my eight great-grandchildren. You're not going to mess with their derricks, their walks, their path that God has chosen for them to walk. You're not going to get them off of it. You're not, going to, you're not going to mess with my Derek. You're not going to mess with any of the good works that God has ordained that I should walk in. I command and demand it. I insist upon it, and I put them under the blood of Jesus, and then I name some of them. I won't take the time to do it right now. Get your hands off my money. Get your hands off our assets in the name above every name. You're not going to operate in the heavenlies over Branson, Missouri, greater Branson, greater Tulsa, greater wherever our works are that God's ordained we should walk in, I command and demand you demons that want to operate in those heavenlies, it is written that whatever I bind is bound in heaven. And whatever I loose is loose in heaven. And I bind you. One translation says paralyze. I paralyze you. You will not operate today. And then I speak. I believe that God has given me some authority in Israel because we have land there. And I believe that it's been awarded to me some, some authority in Washington. And so I use what's been given me. If the church of the living God will use their authority, I can tell you a lot of these evil things will be gone. Brother Hagin said, if they would pray as much as they march, abortion would already have been over with. It's really in the spirit realm operating from the right hand of God that we have our most effectiveness and I challenge you to do it. You might want to watch last night and pray with us from last night. The anointing will be there. We don't have time today, but praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You do it every day at home. You're a soldier in the army of the Lord and you carry your own equipment and you exercise it. Bless the Lord. Been good to be with you.